This is episode number 636 of the Inner Fight Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the show. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter where you are in the world. I hope you are safe. Everything's going well. Thank you for downloading this episode of the podcast. Truly appreciate it. Also, truly appreciate the support of our show sponsors, Smith Street Paleo. Give those guys a shout, smithstreetpaleo.com or hello at smithstreetpaleo.com. All of your paleo goodness, loads of recipes. I've been making tomato ketchup, chimichurri sauce, and the bread religiously during the lockdown. Super nice. They've become staples since Holly's been away. Love it. Get involved. SmithStreetPaleo.com. Thank you to our show sponsors. Welcome back to another show. This week, it's only me speaking. Yes, those of you that do podcasts, have done podcasts, been on the radio, this is the biggest challenge to do a whole 30 to 40 minute show on your own with the limited numbers of ums, ahs, or oh yes. So I'm going to hit it off, obviously, a little bit more practice than many 636 shows already in the bag. And this one, as you have seen from the title, maybe even endeared you to get involved running the most powerful tool. What's it all about? Well, what it's actually all about is a talk that I was doing to a group in the UK just last weekend. And I was asked to speak to a group of people in the UK about running. And the the remit, the brief, if you like, was these people, they know a bit about fitness. Don't scare them with running. And I was like, oh, so my talk, the ultra mindset, which is all about ultras and sort of building mental resilience through running was pretty much off the table, basically. I got told I wasn't allowed to do that one. And so I put together a new talk, which, as it says in the title, is running the most powerful tool. And I genuinely believe that running is incredibly powerful to every single human on the planet. And that's where I came up with the title from. And on the back of that, I shared it a little bit through my social media. And lots of people were like, where's this talk? How can I hear it? And actually, I recorded the talk, but it was more of a, we did about a 30-minute talk and a lot of Q&A. So it probably didn't have the impact that hopefully putting it in a podcast will have. Fortunately, sorry, unfortunately, should I say, Within the podcast audio file, we will not have the slides that I had, but I'm going to do my very best to bring you the information and the audio. Now, I kick this talk off by saying there are, actually by asking the audience, what sort of runner are you? You're either a number one, which is the thought of running makes you want to literally run away, hide, cover your face and just not be involved. You hate it. You're a number one. Secondly, you could be a number two where, okay, if if you have to go for a run or if if it comes up in a workout, you don't mind it, but it's not really your go-to. You're not going on holiday and going out for runs. Running is not your go-to, but you don't really, there's no hatred going on. You're a number two. Or maybe you might be thinking, maybe like me, you you kind of love running and it's a huge part of your life and you kind of do it quite a bit and yeah, when you go on holiday, you also, you go for runs and you try and get your wife involved as well and sometimes she does, sometimes she doesn't. She had a knee surgery a couple of years back so that slowed that down but you're a lover and you're a number three. Now, why is there this split? 
And I want to frame this in, in a way that the number ones, they, they literally hate it. From the start, it's not enjoyable. And if they're going, for example, a 30 or 40 minute run after about 10 minutes, they're literally just in hell. They're hating it. They're swearing. They're cursing. And they're just, they're never, ever, or they're saying that they're never, ever, ever going to run again. The reason being is from the start, and this was the chart that I posted, the heart rate's pretty high and it goes higher and stays high. So the whole experience, they're in the hurt locker the whole time. They're putting themselves in the hurt locker the whole time because of the way they've got themselves worked up about the run and the speed at which they're going to run. Remember that bit about speed because I'm actually going to come back to that a little bit later. The number two person, they start off running and it's not actually too bad. As I said, you know, the, the thought of it doesn't really fear them. They're okay with it. They sort of just crack on. But if it's a 40 minute run by about 20, 25 minutes, they're really, they're a bit over it. They just want to sort of stop. And if you think about this by heart rate, now they're up with the number ones, the haters. They're in the red zone. Heart rate's at max. And they're they're really, they're wishing they hadn't come. They're probably at the time saying they're never going to run again, but they will. And they know in their heart of hearts they will. But the last 10 or 15 minutes is just, it's just awful. Same as the number ones. And then we get to this, the number threes, lovers. What are they doing differently? And this show is not really to massively persuade you to go out and run. It's more to help, hopefully, help you understand why on earth some people love running. Now, the lovers, they just go out at this easy pace. Their heart rate never gets super high. And they just kind of enjoy it the whole way. And as they're finishing up, they're in a good mood because they're not, as we'd say, breathing out their ass and they're just having a nice time. And that really is why they love it. I want to go back a little bit and tell you a little bit about my story. I started running when I was quite young. And the reason I started running was because I used to see my parents running. And one of the pictures I shared in the presentation that I did was a picture of my mum holding a trophy. I remember from being very young, mum would enter a number of different races. Mum and dad would both enter a number of different races here in Dubai as I grew up. Dad would place well, but mum, being the only British runner or the best British runner, would always win the female categories. And I have this picture of her with a trophy. And I remember as a kid, I would see her at the end of races and I would literally try and steal that trophy because that was the winner's trophy. That was number one. And I was proud of her and I wanted to hold that trophy. I remember also my childhood, my parents going out for runs. And if they went, for example, for a 30-minute run, I was allowed to leave the house 25 minutes into that 30-minute run and sort of meet them on the home straight. And then, of course, as a five- and six-year-old, I'd always try and outrun them. And I think, no, dad never let me win. But there was times where I think I did win. It was awesome, and it was environment, and a massive on environment, as a lot of you guys who have listened to the show for a while or come to Inner Fight know. I was born into this environment or raised in this environment, which I saw my parents doing these hugely positive things, and it made me want to run. 
And it was probably about the age of six or seven that I started racing and running races here in Dubai. And I've got a picture of the first time that I put a number on. It was probably just a fun run, two kilometers, I think. I can't remember exactly the distance, but I'm wearing my running singlet. I'm wearing some purple shorts that were, they look so clearly like they were my sister's hand-me-down shorts. And I was running and competing in running and it felt absolutely amazing. It's something that I'd watched my parents do for the last few years and now I was doing it and it just felt absolutely brilliant. If I keep moving on my journey, when I went to boarding school in the UK, running was one of the activities that came around and I was good at it. I was a lot better than a lot of the other kids probably because I had this exposure to it. And with that, came a certain amount of respect from the teachers and from the other kids, which obviously I massively liked. Running would also, because it was a sport and sport was a big part of my school, it would get me special permissions. Sometimes it would get me more food at dinner time. Sometimes it would get me the privilege after a race on a weekend to stay up a little bit later. And these things really started to motivate me to run more. I remember at my high school, When I was 13, I used to have a special permission, and this is probably related or why I get up early now. I had special permission. I was allowed to leave my boarding house at about 5 a.m. in the morning on my own and go out and run through the forest, ice cold, sometimes snowing, pitch black on my own. And I'd get to breakfast and I'd be feeling an absolute million dollars whilst the other kids would just be waking up with sleep in their eyes. That gave me a massive sense of life, of being alive. I just felt so good at 7 a.m. when all these other kids were still groggy and waking up. Yes, it was freezing. Yes, some days were wet, snow, ice, horrible weather where I went to school. But it made me feel amazing. It really made me feel alive. And I was obviously super keen on it. So I trained two or three times a day. And I remember that all the kids would we'd sit around and they'd ask me, what do you like about running? And I'd try to explain it. But at 13 years old, it was quite difficult. I would race. I would race for my school. I would race for my county. And I would later go on to represent the county in English schools. And at 13, I actually set a record, which only four or five people have done in my school, which was to place in the top 10 out of the whole school cross country. So from the age of 13 to 18 year olds, I placed sixth that year. The second year I placed second and the three remaining years I won my school cross country, which is a record I hold with five other people. And I don't think it's actually, no one else has joined the club since I did it back in the 90s. That also earned me a lot of respect and it earned me privileges in my high school as well that I loved. But more than those privileges and more than that respect, it was what running did to me. And I've thought about this and I framed it in these four different ways that I want to share with you guys. The first thing is, is that running to me was fun. All of it was just a fun process. Yes, there were hard races. Yes, there were cold times when it was pitch black. But I've had so much fun running. And I remember one day, just recently in 2018, when I was with Rob and Sean in Corsica, 
And Rob took a picture which will stay with me literally forever in my phone, in my memories. I repost it a lot. And it's where we're at the top part of Corsica. The run across Corsica was 195 kilometers and it involved 14,000 meters of elevation. To be honest, it was as much hiking because the elevation was so serious and trying not to tumble on the way down as it was running. But there's a picture where I'm at the highest point in Corsica. One foot on a ledge, literally if I'd have slipped, God knows what would have happened. And it was just absolutely incredible. About minus five, wind chill factor, and we're there, me, Rob and Sean, just having the most fun ever. No other vehicle can get there. The only vehicle that can get to that point in Corsica is the human body, my feet and my shoes, or a helicopter. So it took me to places, and it's since taken me, and previously taken me to places that I would never be able to get to. So for me, one of the biggest things is that running was fun, and still is. The other thing that running is, is helping others. And this is probably one of the strongest messages that I want to share with you guys today from this talk. That running is helping. Because no matter how bad you are at running, someone will be worse. A lot of us say, I can't run. I'm too slow. I'm too heavy. I'm too this. They're all just excuses. Because there's going to be someone who's slower than you. Who can't keep going when you can. And they're going to be inspired by you. You all have an incredible amount of power to help each other. And I think this was illustrated and the image that I used in this talk that I want to create in your mind. I finished my 15th marathon in 2018, actually at my school, my primary school here in Dubai. And I remember being surrounded by kids. They're all wearing red hats. And I asked the kids, as I did at most schools I went to, if they knew how long a marathon was. Most of them had no clue, to be honest. And that's nothing against any of the kids or any of the schools. And that didn't matter. What mattered to these guys was that I'd just run to their school. I'd got up at 4.30 a.m. that morning. I'd set off from my house at 5. And I'd arrived at their school four hours later. And I'd done it the previous day. And I was going to do it the next day. That inspired them. It could have been one kilometer, five kilometers, or 42.2 as it was. But the fact that I'd run and was continuing to run really helped them. And I've thought about that a lot. And that's why I think that's one of the most important points that you, no matter where you are in your running journey, you're going to inspire someone and that's going to help someone. So running really is helpful for everyone. The third thing that running is, is life. It's living. It's being alive. And this was illustrated to me in 2015 when I was running across the Sahara Desert in Marathon de Sable, the world's toughest foot race, which is a self-supported 250-kilometer race across the Sahara. Self-supported by the fact that the only thing that you get during that race is water at checkpoints. You carry everything else for the whole time that you're there. Food, sleeping equipment, first aid, hygiene equipment, whatever you need in a backpack that's supposed to weigh around 10 kilos. And I remember when I was on the way to the Sahara, I had in my mind that it'd be sand dunes, 
sand, more dunes, sandy dunes, the whole way through. And for the most part, it was. But also in the Sahara, there's a lot of mountains. We didn't go over too many, so the elevation wasn't absolute mayhem. But there was ups and there was downs on the terrain, which posed their own challenge. And I remember one day, as we headed towards a set of mountains, and we're on this flat, and it was almost like a salt flat. And there were cracks all over it. And I stopped, and I looked at this big crack on the salt flats. And it was deep, deep down into this black hole. Marathon de Sable is an incredible race. Over a thousand people running at once together through the Sahara Desert. And as I stood there, I looked at this line of people. I looked down at this crack. And I thought to myself, and it was quite deep. I thought to myself, wow, we're just like small ants on this earth. But we're here and we're living. And strangely enough, I've got this insane opportunity to live a part of my life running through the Sahara. And I saw that as something super, super special. And that's why to me, running is being alive. It's living. The fourth thing that running is to me is surreal. In so many situations, you could say that that experience that I just shared in the Sahara was quite a surreal one. But my running times have been more surreal. One of the most surreal moments, or two of the most surreal moments, happened within a few days of each other. At 6 p.m. on the 27th day of my 30 marathons in 30 days, I got a phone call, and I got told to be at a certain location here in Dubai at 6 a.m. the next morning, the 28th day, because a gentleman wanted to run with me. And a picture that I've got, that again, I'll keep with me forever, is when I'd just come up Jumeirah Beach, we running about seven kilometers and we're in front of Burj Al Arab as I was running with His Highness Sheikh Hamdan, the Crown Prince of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed's son. We'd just run for 7K along the beach. He was the gentleman that wanted to run with me that morning. I thought, isn't it wild? He's the next in line for the throne, the ruler of Dubai, the Crown Prince, but he loves running. He loves sport. And during that seven kilometers, we were able to talk just about normal things, as though we were just a few guys out for a morning run. It was quite surreal to do something like that with the royal family. What was also quite surreal was the next day, the 29th day, where I finished my 29th marathon in downtown, just by the Burj Khalifa. And as I'd finished, they asked me to hang around for five or 10 minutes. There was some show going on on the stage and then they asked everyone's attention to turn to the Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building, where a light show started. And about 30 seconds into the light show, there was a video of me running across the Burj Khalifa. I'm not sure if I really believe that it happened yet. And that's why, to me, running is surreal. They're two quite recent examples. But to be honest, a lot of the time, when I go out running, there's just these surreal moments, these incredible moments of clarity, beauty, and just freedom that I'm not sure can be created in many other ways except being out and running.
I want to share with you guys my first marathon because I think it's quite important because for a lot of people, and if you were a number one, even if you're a number three and you love running, my message is the same. At some stage of our running career, we all go to war. And I went to war in my first marathon. I decided to do it about two weeks after I retired from playing rugby. I only had four weeks to train for it. I did about three training runs and set quite an arrogant goal of finishing the marathon in sub four hours. As I crossed the finish line and looked up at the clock, it read 4.01. It's hard to explain what I was feeling. I was disappointed. I was empty. I'd been in the biggest war I'd ever been in. I was alone. I was emotionally drained, but I didn't want to cry. And I was having this almost brain fog as I sat there at the finish line, looking up and then looking down at my watch that confirmed that I'd run 401 and failed on my first goal. Just six weeks earlier, I'd been playing rugby in front of 25,000 people. The atmosphere was electric and everyone just cheering for me and the team. And here I was, my first sporting attempt outside of rugby and had been a massive failure. And as I sat there, I thought about it. And I didn't feel too much better, I'll be honest. I tried to make myself feel better. But I had a thought. I thought, this is, this is quite beautiful. I've been absolutely humbled. I've been brought right back down. I felt like I'd had everything stripped away. And I think it's these experiences that I've had, and we've had them in various aspects of our life. But for me, that's where I started my marathon running in 2010. It was a big war, but looking back on it, it was beautiful. And you almost, we'll almost all go through it, whether it's a marathon, whether it's 5K. But when I look back at it, it was one of the best runs I've ever had because of what I learned from it. I want to go now and answer the question that I said a lot of my friends asked, a lot of the other kids at school asked. They would always ask me, why would you run? I was obviously in a minority. Kids at school didn't like cross country, but I did. And my answers were quite simple. And I want to provoke thought for you guys on four different levels. The first reason why anyone would run is because it's one of the most simplest forms of exercise that we could do. There are no real barriers to entry. You don't need anything. You just need, you can do it on the spot. I was going to say you just need a street or a bit of road, but you don't really even need that. You don't need trainers, unless you're going to run a lot and you want to protect your feet. But the Taro Mara didn't really wear trainers. It is so simple. And the second point is that we're designed to run. Of all the animals in the animal kingdom, yes, we're not the fastest, but we can run for the longest. So if the 
lion or the cheetah doesn't kill you within the first 10 meters, you'll eventually outrun it. It'll get tired and give up. Human beings are designed to run. It's something so natural to us. So why wouldn't you want to run? The third thing is that when you're running, you activate way more senses. Think about it like this. You've driven a route over and over. It might be the route that you drive to work every day or you go from the grocery store to home every day. And then one time you are walking that route or running that route or on a bike on that route and you notice something completely different about it. A building, the smell, what it looks like or what it maybe feels like. Those senses are never going to be activated in any other mode of transport except when you're out running or walking. Activating those senses senses does so much for us. It makes us think in a different way on a different level. And that is what leads to the fourth and final point of why you would run. And I've said it before already, it makes you feel incredibly alive. And even if you're a number one, you're one of the haters. I'm pretty sure within five, ten, maybe half an hour after you finish the run, you feel pretty awesome. So then we come to the question, well, okay, I'm bored in. How do I start? My message here, guys, is really simple. It's to stop overcomplicating things. And I want to give you an example a real-life example that's happened just recently. I was doing a talk, the talk I mentioned earlier, the ultra mindset, building mental resilience through ultra running, a talk that I share with a number of companies, both locally and globally. And I always go to a little bit of time for Q&A at the end, which when I'm doing my talks in person is quite straightforward, but through the new platform of Zoom is a little bit more complex. But people are starting to open up. And that's cool. And one gentleman asked a question. He said, I want to start running. How? And I said to him, when you go to bed tonight, set your alarm for 5.59 a.m. Get up, have a glass of water, wash your face, do what you need to do. But at 6.29, leave from your house. And I could see the faces on Zoom. People are looking at me all a bit weird. But I carried on because I knew that this would work for him. I've done it before with someone. I said, walk for 10 minutes. And when you see 10 minutes go, either on your watch or on your phone, if you don't have a watch, you'll see a lamppost. There'll be one. They're in all the streets around here. Start running at that lamppost. And when you get to the second lamppost, Walk to the third lamppost. And when you get to the third lamppost, run to the fourth. Super straightforward. Lampposts are spaced out anywhere between 50 to 150 meters. I said, repeat this for 10 minutes. Walk for 10 minutes. 10 minutes of run, walk, lamppost to lamppost. And then walk home for around 10 minutes. And when you get home, sit down, have a drink of water, Ask yourself, how do you feel? 
and send me a message with your answer. In that talk, he said, is that it? I said, yes, brother, that's it. He said, what do I need to wear? What do I need to eat? I said, you don't need to worry about any of that. I don't care what you wear. As I said earlier, if you wear shoes, good. If you don't, no problem. All of that stuff will come later. I said, do it and send me a message tomorrow morning when you get back and you've asked yourself that question. He sent me a message about 7.30. He said, I feel absolutely amazing. What should I do tomorrow? I said, do exactly the same thing. Up until the time that recording this podcast, he's gone out and done that, variations of that. Now, obviously, that doesn't stimulate him quite as much, running lamppost to lamppost, but he's done it for about nine or 10 days on the bounce and now has a goal in June to run between five and seven kilometers without stopping. This guy hasn't run since he was in school. He listened to the simplest instructions ever. He went out and executed them for 10 days in a row. And now you could say he's realized that running is one of the most powerful tools. The problem that we have most of the time, and that's why there's so many number ones out there that hate running, is because we make it too hard. So my message is clear. Stop making it so hard. Think about it like this. Most of us heard in various areas of life the 80-20 rule. Whether it's diet, whether it's business, no matter what it is, people say 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers or eat 80% of your diet really well and then 20% you can cheat. Well, we've got an 80-20% rule in running. 80% of your running should be what we say green. Should be easy. Should be enjoyable. Your heart rate should be low. You should be looking around, activating those senses, sight, smell. Maybe hear, listen to your friend as you run together. It's only 20% where you're in the red, where you're really pushing. And that's not of each individual run. There should be easy runs and there should be hard runs. But as human beings, we're overcomplicating it. We're making things way too hard. Please don't do that, folks. Please keep your running easy. That's what will make it so enjoyable. And that's what will make it such a powerful tool for you. There'll definitely be times where you need to up the ante, where you need to run hard. But that will only be 20%. So look at your runs. And if most of them are super hard, you probably need to back off. Just because you're going really hard does not always mean that you're doing a great job. Some frequently asked questions that I want to address before I wrap this up, or what I would say are excuses. The number one, ex- ex- the number one frequently asked question, yes, I did that on purpose, or well, the number one excuse is I need to eat in the morning before I go running, or what should I eat before I go running, or in the afternoon, I've eaten too much, so I can't go running yet. All these kind of things around nutrition. Honest to God, if you're just starting out on your running journey or running is something that you just want to get into, don't worry about the food. You don't need to get up and fill yourself with food. Get up, have 500 mils of water and just go out for a run. 
And yes, you might say I'm more conditioned or more seasoned runner. Yesterday morning, I ran 26 kilometers, a glass of water, and a black coffee. And that's not for everyone, but stop using nutrition as an excuse. The second thing that people talk about, which is important and becomes more important the deeper you get into running, is a technique. But at the start, doing the run or the run walk is the most important. Don't worry too much about your technique. Don't worry about how you land right now. We can get to that a little bit later. A legitimate complaint that we hear from people is that running hurts their joints. And this is something that I'm not just going to brush over because it is pretty serious. The number one reason for running hurting people's joints is overweight and trying to run too far, too fast, too soon. Refer to my previous comment of stop making it so hard. If you're overweight, run and walk is absolutely fine. You don't need to be putting extra force through those joints. It might even be that in a 30-minute window, you might just do five minutes of running for the first three or four weeks of your training if you're 15 to 20 kilos overweight. Because you will get joint pain, but it shouldn't stop you. The, the weight will start to come off and your body will start to adapt. Another thing that people ask is, I don't have the right shoes. And I've mentioned this a few times before. If you read the book Born to Run, you'll learn about the Taro Mara running literally with no shoes. Again, as you get more into running, and if it's something you're going to spend a lot of time doing, then shoes become more important. But at the start, they're really not a deal breaker. As long as you have something that's going to protect your feet from the road, you're doing okay. In some of the ultra races that I've run in, I've actually seen people run in Crocs. A few guys in the Sahara ran across the Sahara in Crocs. I don't recommend that, but it just shows that maybe it's not the most important thing to be focusing on. Another good question, which is relevant to you guys because a lot of you do CrossFit, is how do I mix it with CrossFit? Well, I would say if you're doing three to five CrossFit classes a week, you can fit in one to two runs. It's going to work really well. No, it's not going to make you weaker. No, it's not going to stop you from getting muscle-ups, handstand push-ups, all that sexy stuff. It's only going to bring you benefit. And we actually see this a lot at Inner Fight, where we, a lot of the CrossFitters start to come to our Track Tuesday sessions, where we run intervals every Tuesday. And what we see is people that were perhaps not very good at running before within a workout start to get better in those workouts because they work on their running. Running helps in CrossFit in so many ways, building an endurance base and helping people to actually enjoy running a little bit more. So when it comes up in a workout, they don't suddenly decide that they need to row that day. They actually go out and get it. So it works really, really well. I want to wrap this up with a thought. And as you don't have a video on, I need you to use your imagination a little bit here. Maybe some of you were there. It was the last lap of my 400 meter 24 hour effort 
here in Sports City in Dubai in November, where I ran for 24 hours around the 400-meter track. The last three hours, for anyone who was there, would know I suffered quite a lot. And as I crossed the finish line on the mark of 24 hours, there's a picture of everyone thankfully cheering for me, smiling and happy. I felt like death. I was in incredible pain. My whole body hurt, my head, my legs. I couldn't feel my toes. I was in a whole world of hurt. But as I picked up Holly and gave her a hug and heard everyone cheering, I've literally never felt so alive. I'm not saying that everyone needs to run for 24 hours around a track, guys. I'm also not suggesting that everyone does an ultra marathon. However, what I can guarantee you, and I hope that you'll start to understand, is that running is an incredibly powerful tool. No matter if you're a number one, or a number two, or a number three, we can get you to be a number three, and we can get you to almost love running. I know for some it'll take longer than for others, but it's an incredibly powerful tool. And even more so now, as we see people having come out of the lockdown period, they just want to be outside because it's making them feel so alive. We've also, and this is my sales pitch if anyone's still listening to me, there is, if that's inspired you, Rob Jones, endurance coach with us, has put together a Start to Run program, which takes people like the gentleman I spoke about that we said just go out and run from lamppost to lamppost, takes people like that and helps them to start running. So if that's something interesting, drop us an email, winning at innerfight.com. Rob will connect with you and let you know what that's all about. A super, super straightforward program. But as you can see, and as you guys that know me know, running has been a huge part of my life and will always be a big part of my life because it's so powerful. I hope that was helpful. It's helped me to share my story and I'm sure it will help some of you. Guys, have an awesome day. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're running right now, I love you all. And if this has inspired you to go out and run, I also love you too. Have a great day. Take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening.